This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hey everybody, Reese is here with a very special guest. I am talking to the one, the only, Mr. Nick Nanavati. Uh, hey guys, the... how you doing? Oh no, hey dude, jump in. Yeah. So Nick, uh, Nick is an eager man in uh, in gaming, in interviewing, in all aspects of life. He doesn't uh, he doesn't hold back. He just jumps right in there. That's definitely true. <laughs> uh, Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, and this is the first time we've ever had you on our show. That's right, Reese. Thank you for having me. I got to say, it's been a long time coming, but I'm glad you got me here. Yeah, indeed. And uh, I have to say, it's a long time coming to see you do well at the LVO. Uh, you've never done poorly, but it's always seemed to have been kind of your unlucky event. <laughs> yeah, usually something just just happens that keeps me away from it. But this year, you know, no holds barred. I come there to take names, run it down. And you did. You performed extremely well. You can't do much better. You won the 40K championships, and you won it in pretty epic style. Uh, yeah. It was uh, it was really interesting the way it went down. Of course, there's been a bunch of drama about some of the things that occurred uh, in the game prior to yours uh, with your opponent, Tony Grappondo and Alex Finnell. Uh, they had what has you know, been described by many as an unsporting-like uh, incident in which it left Alex unable to have any chance of victory. Uh, whether he would have won or not, you never know. But um, what it uh, built up to was a situation in which not only the Las Vegas Open 40K champs, the largest 40K event in the world, was at stake between you and Tony, but it was also the entire ITC at stake with Tony seated number one, you seated number two. And because of the way everything panned out, it was winner take all. You take, you take your faction, you take the event, you take the ITC, and uh, it creates a highly dramatic uh, situation and a really exciting finish. And uh, the way it went down, which I'll let you explain in your own words, made it pretty satisfying to watch as a viewer. Um, really, really awesome stuff. So, Nick, why don't you uh, why don't you talk about what it was like to be in that incredibly uh, high pressure moment? Yeah, um, like you said, it was definitely a very poetic justice kind of thing. But let me get into it from, uh, I guess, my perspective. Um, this is obviously something I've been working towards all year. I've been going to events around the country, placing as well as I can, constantly focusing on trying to bring the best army I can bring and really master and practice it and learn it. Um, and then for me, like, this is like my hobby. This is like what I do in my spare time. So while some people feel like some people who don't want to dedicate as much time to it might be like, how does Nick do all this? Or like, how do you spend so much time doing Warhammer and stuff? It's like, well, you know, I'm, I don't have kids. I'm younger. I like this is when I can spend kind of time doing it. So that's kind of how. Um, but to get into it, I knew going in, I was one of the top seeds for the, the entire ITC, and I really wanted to bring down the LVO because I haven't done it before, and it was just one of my goals. Um, so obviously the pressure was really high getting into it, and then as we were like getting further and further into the actual tournament. Tony Grappondo, who was like my number one competitor at the thing, because he was the only person at the event who was higher than me in the ITC rankings. Um, he kept winning his games too. So I was really concerned about that. And then there were also other people like Sean Naden or Brad Chester who could have like 
really feasibly just beaten me had we got paired together um, that were also all winning their games. So it was just like a really high stakes competition and every round when pairings went up, it was like a mini heart attack seeing who you got. Um, so when we finally got to top eight, I was lucky enough to be on the opposite side of the bracket to Tony and Sean. So I was hoping they could knock each other out for me and make my life a little easier. Um, but Tony and I actually made it all the way to the finals, like you were saying, and that put so much pressure on me and I'm sure on him too, because like you had mentioned, that's the LVO and the ITC champ all on one game, like the whole title, the 4,000 bucks, everything on just this last game of 40 K. Um, and then after hearing about what he had done to Alex in the prior game, I knew Tony wasn't gonna, he wasn't coming to mess around. He was there to like going for the throat kind of thing. So we were playing, and um, you know, finals is really tense. We have like our little closed-off room. It's all private, mic'd up. We're on stream, thousands of people watching or whatever. And Tony, I, I missed a six-inch charge on turn one, which really set me back. Like I was really hoping to make that charge, even with a command point, um, but I messed it up. So Tony took advantage and deep struck his shining spears in. And he tried to, you know, quicken them up, sober them up, go really deep into my lines with them, and just gut all my characters, which totally could have worked um, had he remembered to use the stratagem. He advanced the Shining Spears with the intent of charging them, because um, with the Sam Hand trait, you can still charge with the stratagem. But he didn't clear he was using it, he didn't pay his command points for it, so uh, I didn't mention anything at the time. And then when he went to go charge the unit eventually, I was just like, get him to use a stratagem, you advanced, you can't charge. And I would normally never pull that kind of move on someone, even under those pressures, just because um, I'm not that kind of guy. I like to win because I'm better than you. I don't like to win because I kind of got you like that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, Tony had just done the same exact kind of thing to Alex. And I even told him, I was like, you would do this to me. And he admitted on stream, he was like, yeah, I absolutely would. So, you know, fair is fair in that regard. Um, and that kind of sealed his fate right there. And with that, I kind of just ran away with it after that. But it was it was really euphoric to like finally have achieved all my goals, you know, like the whole year's season coming together in one moment was just, uh, you know, it's kind of indescribable what that feels like. Yeah, I can only imagine what it was like to be in your shoes. And the the, the kind of like coup de gras, uh, the the fatal blow that you just described was very apropos because Tony had just won his game prior doing that to Alex, but he did even more of a gotcha kind of circumstance. Um, and it, it was the, the chat went bananas. It blew yeah. up. And yeah, there was um, memes that were coming out like instantaneously when Tony gets Tony'd. Um, and to yeah. his credit, like you said, we're not trying to make him sound like a bad guy. As as we were discussing off uh, off air, he's we both consider him to be a friend. Uh, like I said, he's not like my best buddy or anything, but I, I like the guy a lot. I don't think he's a bad guy. And he did. He said, "I." He's like, "Yeah, I would have done the same thing." So. Um, he, he just that's the way he plays the game and yeah uh, absolutely um a lot of people like asked me after the game and they were like so are you and tony ever going to be cool again like tony was on the etc team at the time and he was um you people were like is this going to destroy team dynamic and everything and i was so confused i was like guys it was just the game like i still like him personally he's a friend like like i don't take this stuff that personally it's just a, it's literally a game and tony even said um it's like me and Tony had like a little personal rivalry going on too. I had uh, I beat him at Adepticon finals on the final table, and now I beat him at the LVO finals, and now for the LVO the ITC championship. So 
I'm kind of like his kryptonite in that regard. And Tony, even after the game, was like, Nick, I really want to hate you, but like I like you as a person, so I can't. So um, just like, you know, there's there's personal stuff and there's, there's game table stuff, and there's a pretty – they don't you don't have to take stuff so personally with that. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people lose sight of that when they only see, you know, one little slice of the whole picture. Um, and they, they jump to conclusions as people do on the Internet. And I think it is important to remember that, like, we're all people uh, in the heat of the moment when you've got so much at stake. You've been working all year for something. It's easy to uh, kind of let the claws come out a little bit. Yeah, um, when, when in your normal life, you might be a really mild mannered and agreeable, cool person. Um, but it was pretty it was pretty epic the way <laughs> the way that the uh, karma uh, ball bounced back so quickly. Yeah, um, it was definitely uh, cinematic. You could say um, the top two seeds on the opposite sides of the bracket, finally making it all the way to the finals. And then uh, me beating him the exact same way he beat Alex just beforehand. Um, you couldn't rank that, make that stuff up if you tried. Yeah, I know one of the uh, one of the the crew members on our stream team turned around and looked at me because I was like in shock. I was like, "Wow, I can't believe what just happened." <laughs> he looked at me and he said, "Did you?" He's like, "Did you plan this?" And I was like, "I wish I was that smart." <laughs> I was right? like, "No, I absolutely did not." Obviously, we would never, you know, gamble with yeah, the you can't of our regret, event. Right. It was yeah. just it, it almost felt like it was a scripted event because it was so. Um, yeah. It was such a satisfying ending. It was like watching a movie or something. So uh, congratulations. And Thank you. That was yeah. incredible. Um, what did you think about? What were you planning when you wrote your list coming in to the LVO? So I guess it started back around November-ish. And I was planning on playing Chaos like I had been for most of 8th edition. And it was around the time that Guard was just completely dominating everything. Um, Relic Lost Kid, he was everywhere. Um and then I just saw Elder had come out, and I was like, there's probably, there's, like, there's a chance I could win LDL with Chaos. Like, that's real, but um, it's going to be such an uphill battle because, like, you just go second versus guard, and, you know, it's going to be awful. Like, so bad. Or, like, even going first, you could just have, like, a bad turn. They get a full turn of rerolls against you, just forget it. So I kind of looked at Eldar and saw all the modifiers to hit and everything, and I, you know, uh, I put two and two together. I was like, this is probably a stronger army. So I kind of sold my soul on that one a little bit and just decided to play LR, really practice a build, refine it, and, and just make the commitment to LR at that point. So, I mean, what you saw at LVO, that list, looked nothing like my initial builds. My initial builds were a brigade. I had 30 hawks in one list. I had zero hawks in LVO. I had scorpions in some lists, zero scorpions in LVO. It was just, like, not even recognizable, the difference. And that's just evolution in playing the games. But by the time I finally did to start to narrow in on the exact list I used, I felt really good. Like there was no list that I felt like I just couldn't beat. So why don't we talk a little bit more about your list? Um, for those of you out there that are uh, subscribers to Best Coast Pairings, you can go back and see Nick's list on uh, BCP. Uh, and that's bestcoastpairings.com. Uh, or otherwise, you could probably find it just hunting around the web. But um, why don't you walk us through your list and why you chose the units that you did? Yeah, sounds good. Um, so I'm going from memory now. It's been about two, three weeks. But uh, I had two Alia top detachments and a Yanari detachment. It was two battalions and uh, Spearhead, I believe. Um, I had two Farseers, um, one Alia top Spearseer, and a Warlock. Uh, 
And then I had in the Inari detachment, I had an Autark using the old Index War Gear with a, a Banshee Mask, a Fusion Gun, and a Laser Lance. I had a Cat Lady, that's her actual name. And I had a, a Beal Tan Spirit Seer. And that guy was a little questionable for a lot of people because uh, he obviously couldn't embark in my Aliotox Serpents or anything. But uh, I thought he was really worth it because the Bealtan Stones were phenomenal. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Like, even though I didn't make any points to get them, um, you can't fail quickening. Your army hinges on that yep. power. So yep. getting that off is just so important. So that's, that was the choice behind him. Uh, moving on, we went on. We have three uh, Ranger squads that were Aliotox. They were in the... the Aliotok Battalion, kind of bread and butter choice, get you some easy command points, useful, they scout, not bad. Um, I had uh, two Aliotok Serpents, they were there to reduce my drops by like half, I have like 20 Nick, units and my list is like 11 drops. Let me uh, interrupt you really quick, so yeah. did you use a command point to get the Spirit Stones of Anhalath or whatever they're yeah, called? absolutely, every single game. Okay, because yeah, I know people uh, had questions about that. Yeah, a lot of people just assumed that I was cheating. Um, I wasn't. I, my warlord is Cat Lady. That's how I unlock Soul Burst, which means I don't get any relics naturally, but I can pay for a relic using stratagems, and that's what I did. Yeah, and the Spirit Stones. I play a Bealtan, I play a Bealtan Brigade, and they're phenomenal. The Bealtan Warlord trait is also phenomenal. Oh, but that was, yeah, that's great too. Mm -hmm. Given what you're trying to do, it t totally makes sense. So I, I apologize for interrupting. No, I just wanted okay. to clarify yeah. that because a lot of people would question that. Absolutely. Um, so where was I? My, my two Serpents. Um, they were able to cut my drops in half because uh, you can stuff all your characters in there. I had a lot of three-man Reaper units, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, stuff all those in my Serpents, and literally, that plus one to go first, I had every single round of LVO. Um, then, and not only that, Serpents are just really good as, like, screening units because they're so tough to kill and they fly. They're just very useful. Bumping into yes. stuff to keep it from shooting. They're just very useful picks. Uh, I had... Three units of three Dark Reapers, each with a Tempest Launcher. Everyone knows about Dark Reapers. I'm not going to get into it. They're just really good. You should take some until they get nerfed. Um, in my Yanari Battalion, I had that Autark Cat Lady and the Bealtan Spirits here, like I mentioned. Uh, let me just talk about that Autark really quick. That guy is such a vamp. Oh, my God. Uh, I would do so much cool stuff with him. I'd protect him. I'd fortune him. send him in there as, like, a solo guy. I'd run up, melt the gun a character or a tank in the face, charge it, and just leave. Like, after I killed it with Soul Burst, like 16 inches straight back, 22 inches if I get to advance. He's so much utility. Not only that, but I made him Iliotox, so my whole army just gets real ones. Like, my little castle of Reapers can just real ones to hit if he's nearby. So much utility on that guy. Let me, let me interject again. Why don't you explain, because a lot of people didn't understand how you retained um, traits. Oh, yeah. This was a common question that a lot of people have that I saw. Um, so the way it works currently with Yanari and Craft World traits, you don't replace the Craft World brackets or whatever you want to call it, the keyword, the keyword Craft World. You don't replace that with keyword Yanari. You just add the keyword Yanari on. So in the place of keyword Craft World, you can choose Aliotok, Bealtan, Iandin, whatever you prefer. Um, and you don't benefit from those traits, like you're not minus one to hit. If you're Iandin, you don't have whatever Iandin one is. If you're Ultimate, you're not six of female pain. Um, you don't get the benefit, you still have the word. So interactions like using stratagems, uh, those still affect those units because they are still technically Aliotok, they're just not minus one to hit. The Autark's aura of six inches real ones to hit, that affects you if you're Aliotok, even though he's not benefiting from minus one to hit. 
So you're only getting half of the benefit of being alien talk, but you know, you still get some benefit out of it. And you're getting all the benefit of being Yanari. Yeah, and you're getting all the benefit of being Yanari, full soul burst. You lose offsec for your stuff, um, but that's a small price to pay in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so to continue on with that battalion, I had two units of Dark Eldar Warriors. Um, those guys, I just needed some cheap tacks to fill my troops out, so I had more command points. Also, I used them for screening pretty much every game, turn one, turn two, if they were still around. Not bad. For 35 points, can't really complain. Uh, and then I had a big Guardian Blob, 16 Guardians, and a Shuriken Cannon. I really wanted to get this up to 20 and two cannons, um, but points just weren't really there. Um, but this unit was phenomenal. It so, has so much utility. I would deep strike it every single game, um, along with my Shining Spears, which I'll cover in a second. And I would sometimes I'd make them like ludicrously hard to kill with using the four-up invul stratagem on them. Uh, I forget what it's called. Uh, it gives them a four-up invul from shooting. Then I'd cast it's protect. Uh, it's uh, celestial shield. Celestial shield. Thank you. And then I'd cast uh, protect on them to make that a three-up invul from shooting. Um, that cannon, that one cannon I bought, that's there purely just a tank hit for you know, getting shot. He has a, a three-up armor save base, so with Protect, that goes to a two-up armor save. Um, so that guy just, you know, he can tank forever. Sometimes I'd fortune them, and then it's like two-up armor, three-up invul fortune. The unit can just tank anything. Sometimes I'd use it really offensively. I would cast Guide on them, Soul Burst them, shoot them twice, and they'll wreck anything in the game with Doom on top of that. Um, and sometimes I would just use them to Deep Strike somewhere and clear a backfield out for me, because... If the guy has like 20, 30 cultists and units of 10 in his backfield, and you show up and deep strike the 30 guardians, that's 15 guardians, and put like five guys in every squad, you end up killing five cultists out of each unit, and then the morale is going to get them because they're in leadership six. He killed five guys in leadership one. Yeah, and then if you need to, you can just soul burst and shoot them again. Exactly. You know? Yeah, just it's, that unit has so much utility power. Yeah. Um, and that my, little trick with the uh, with the gun to to tank wounds on the gun is is genius. Yeah, thank you. Um, it was also really helpful for Overwatch because uh, you don't want to use Celestial Shield against Overwatch. That just seems silly, but you don't want to take unnecessary casualties for Overwatch. So the cannon is really useful for that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I, I was talking to Sean, and I was like, "Yeah, I usually use Storm Guardians because they're cheaper." And he was like explaining the whole little shtick and i was like i don't know how i didn't see that that's a, uh, it's clearly better yeah um, and that unit is extremely is extremely useful so uh, i know in a lot of you guys that had similar lists they all said the guardian blob was one of the most important yeah. units in the yeah. in the list definitely very very useful um a lot of people i know i'll notice online asking why they weren't all way um that way I, if they were all way i could use a stratagem on that all way get for plus one to hit uh, black guardians. Yeah, yeah black. Uh, it's black guardians or guardians, but that's what it's called. Um, the the reason being is that I started them out in my list of salt play, and like I said, as the list evolved, they changed back to alien talk because I never actually found myself using the strategy. Um, I just couldn't justify using a command point for plus one to hit on a unit that I would typically be guided, um, especially because a lot of times I'd have the autark near them, and the autark wouldn't work if he's uh, alien talk in their alt way. So if I just switch the keyword there so that I could give them reader ones to hit, which isn't as good as plus one to hit, but it's close enough um, for free benefit versus a command point benefit. So just like value added without like having to put resources into a kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Autark is incredible, especially 
um, with being able to go back and take some of the older war gear. Yeah. He is such a yeah. utility unit. Um, really, yeah. really powerful. The reroll one aura isn't available to all factions, but when it is, it's just, it's incredibly potent. But honestly, my, my favorite thing about the Autark is um, I did this to one of the guard players I played. I He had like three Primaris Psychers or like two Primaris Psychers and a Commissar all near each other behind the guardsmen and, you know, back where characters are safe. And I, I threw my Autark up there with Quicken. Um, right, he moved 30 to inches and just flew his ass up there. Uh, and he, he melted gun one Primaris Psyker because they don't have end rolls, so that just like basically hit killed a guy. And he shot his shuriken cannon laser lance uh, and hit killed another guy with that. And then he charged the commissar and killed the commissar with his laser lance in close combat. And then after that, he triggered soul burst and moved 22 inches back behind a rock behind my lines. So this is like pure yeah, assassination on there. It's it is pretty crazy what you're able to pull off. I I, I am of the opinion that soul burst is still not the greatest mechanic, even with the oh, mega nerf that it. Got. I could write you a book it, on it, how broken soul burst is. Even still, it's like. Yeah, exactly. Like, the way I described it in a, in a different interview I had is, is I still stand by this. You A normal already pays two command points to shoot again or three command points to fight again. I do that every single turn with like eight reapers, nine reapers, nine spears, whatever. So every turn that's at least five command points worth of benefit on just garnering. On top of that, I have the you know the movement powers that Silver's offers you, the random casting ability that Silver's offers you, all that other stuff. And Furthermore, it's out of phase. Like usually when you shoot again or fight again, it's after at the end of the shooting phase, at the end of the assault phase, you can at least kind of plan for it in that regard. I can shoot you in my movement phase if I wanted. Like Soul Burst is just absurdly broken. Like my army essentially had 30 command points. Yep. And not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but I, I'm of the opinion that the Soul Burst mechanic was just sort of ill-conceived from the word go. Yeah. And it got a much-needed reduction in power, but with the introduction of Craftworld Eldar and all the stratagems and all the things you've just described, um, it's now, again, the dominating um, yeah, honestly, mechanic in the game. Yeah, honestly, it just shouldn't be uh, something that powerful. It just has no business existing. I, I, I agree. I agree. Um and it's interesting because, of course, when these things happen, the community, the, the Yunari community is just up in arms. Mm-hmm. My army's literally unplayable now, which is my favorite quote. I'm like, yeah, well, you can't I... put it, you can't put it on the table and play with it, <laughs> and it's not literally unplayable. Yeah. Um, and it was again the core mechanic to four of the top eight lists yeah. at the LVO. I mean, so I don't think you need any more evidence than that. Right. But, um, uh, to go but, back and not but, to undermine yeah. what you did, like you obviously oh, you, you played you. it tremendously well. Yeah. Um, to go back to the list, I finished it off with uh, one big unit of Shining Spears, nine Shining Spears, and uh, one big unit of Reapers. Those were both Yanari too. Um, the the Reapers, you know, everyone is blaming the Reaper Boogeyman and all that. They're really good. They probably are undercosted, not denying that. But uh, they aren't the bread and butter of the list. I would not call my list a Reaper spam list. Like, they're good. I use them to helpful. I need shooting, but it's not centered around the Reapers. It's all, it's kind of like uh, some of its parts is better than the, the individual parts added together. So like my list is how my list is so strong because when everything comes together and works together, it's much more powerful than just the individual parts. Um, the spears though. Now those are the MVPs. Every single game, these guys impressed me. Uh, you can make them nearly unkillable, just like you did with the Guardians. Like, two of armor, three of them from shooting, feel no pain. Um, 
You can move them 66 inches in a turn and shoot and charge if you use stratagems and quicken and soul burst properly. Uh, oftentimes, I would fight again with them. With Guy, they pump out a ridiculous number of shots. It's just, they're nuts. Yeah. Yeah, they, not only you, but a lot of the... Uh... A lot of the players that were playing Eldar said that the Spears were better than the Reapers in pretty much every game. Yeah, every single game wasn't even close. And that's that's interesting because, like you said, the kind of the internet boogeyman right now is Reapers, and Reapers they are underpriced, right? Like the example I always use is a Space Marine with a missile launcher, who perhaps is not accurately costed, but just as a baseline is thirty-eight points, and a Dark Reaper is twenty-seven points, and he's better in almost every important way um and he's you know almost 30 percent cheaper so um yeah definitely underpriced but uh, it is interesting to hear that the, that the shining spears were the instrumental unit because that's not what was expected by accepted internet wisdom which once again is not usually that wise <laughs> <laughs> yeah um not to underplay the reapers at all they, they're great but it really is the the combination of all the buffs and powers and stratagems you can use on the Shining Spears that take them over top. The Reapers, all you can really do with them is, is you know, guide and silver shooting toys. Spears just have so much more value and utility than that, that they really were the ball stars. That doesn't surprise me either. Um, my Eldar list is very eclectic. I don't go that heavy on any uh, one unit. So your, your results are going to be a lot different. I don't use Ynari either because um, my spears are very hit or miss. Sometimes they do great. Sometimes I miss and they die, you know, but that's, I don't, I'm not soul bursting. I'm not doing all this other stuff, but um, the, the, the master of the game, in my opinion, is always the master of the movement phase. It's the only phase that you have total control over what's happening. Um, there's little to no random element. Your opponent is, has a lot of limitations in what they can do. Um, uh, to prevent you, although a, a master of movement is also good at predicting and blocking their opponent's moves. So a unit that can move that much that quickly in the hands of a very skilled player, is that's, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest that's going to be your best unit. It's like a combination of a rook and a knight in chess. You know, Yeah, that's like, a great point. You know, It has almost infinite movement and fly. Uh, how do you defend against that? It's extremely difficult to... Um, and board control, especially in the modern style missions, um, that is where uh, the game is won or lost, right? Like if you look at the, the ITC Champions missions, the Nova missions, even the ETC missions, because they use the uh, uh, Maelstrom element, you need mobility. You need to be able to go out and impose your will on the table, uh, or you're just, even if you're blowing your opponent away, you're not going to win the mission. Yeah. Um, one of the things on that, um, I really love the, the ITC missions, actually. I think they're one of the best missions out there right now. And I, I know a lot of people think that, think it's wise to choose second in them because, you know, you can see how much you have to kill and kill more accordingly. See where your objectives are, where your opponent's objectives are, hold more accordingly. It gives you a huge advantage on that and really incentivizes you to go second. And a lot of times I would still choose first, not to get the Alpha Strike in or whatever with the Reapers, but actually just to get board control, move my units out of the deployment zone before the other guy and just really take up board space. Um, one of the great things the Guardians for is because when they come down with Quicken, they take up an enormous amount of board space. And the whole point of that was just because I understand that I'm giving you the opportunity to take my objectives away from me and score more, but you can't do that if I own the entire table. Yeah, that's a really good point because our, our data shows you have a massive advantage, statistically speaking, going second. However, um, when you play a board control army, uh, one really popular army here is, is Cultist Bomb Chaos, 
if they go first, they are occupying two thirds of the table before the you've had a chance to do anything. Yeah. And it, like you said, it's it the advantage gained from going second in that instance is negated because you can't move anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, you can't was... you can't capitalize on the advantage that you get. Mm-hmm. Very much the point of the Guardian Blob was was that was to act like a kind of a, a ghetto cultist bomb in that regard. And it's an extremely effective tactic, just occupying space is extremely important in 8th edition 40k, more so than any other edition of the game, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, and it was one of the reasons why the uh, Brimstone Horrors were so ridiculously overpowering. Uh, previously, yeah, they still are. Honestly, really even good. with the 6 up involvement, they're essentially not casting Smite, I would still consider taking Brimstones, because the, the rule being a model, like, you know, taking up space, that's worth 3 points to me. It's the best 3-point model in the game. I still tell people that all the time. Like, yeah, I know it's, it always, when you have something taken away from you, you're just like, oh, the world is ending. But compare it to the only other three-point model in the game, which is a Garot, and it's no comparison whatsoever. It does, raise the, is, yeah, sorry. It does raise the question, though, why is a Guardsman four points? <laughs> the Guardsman is four points? Yeah, um, well, that's a whole different topic. It, it is indeed. Um, <laughs> perhaps uh, a little too cheap, but the... Um, the Grot is one of the best units in the Orc army, right? And yeah, I mean, everyone top... needs screens, and exactly. you know, need space to take up sc- for screens to exist, and models exactly. that are cheap with great screens, it just it lends itself to it. Yep, and then the Grots have basically a, a similar effect to the old-school Commissar, where they only lose D3, and the top Orc players the LVO all had, like, 60 or more Grots, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's all coming back to the point you were making about board control, like, you can't emphasize it enough. And that's why with Space Marine players who are struggling that I talk to, I bang the drum. I'm like, scouts, scouts, scouts. Oh, yeah, I can't scouts. even imagine not playing, not having scouts in the Marine Army. I just, that's not even real. Yeah, it's, you, I don't think you can win without them, quite frankly, uh, yeah. if you're playing pure Space Marines. But not to go off um, too much uh, on a tangent, uh, it was just reinforcing the point that you mm-hmm. made. That's a really good point is how important board control is in this edition of the game. You have to create space or deny space to your opponent, or you're yeah, just not going to win. Uh, so what about uh, your run in the ITC? I know in your article that you posted over at Frontline Gaming, also on your blog, uh, yeah. the Brown Magic, um, you discuss uh, some of your strategies in performing well in the ITC. Why don't you share some of that? Because you came at it with a very methodical approach. Yeah, um, so I guess one of the things, you, if you're really in the running for best ITC, trying to win the whole ITC. You really have to kind of make the decision a year ahead of time. You know, like when the circuit starts, you have to kind of be on top of it. You're like, I want to go to these events that are high point things. And it's acknowledged that if you're going to win, winning an RTT doesn't matter. That score needs to be replaced if you're going to try to win the entire thing. Otherwise, your points aren't going to be high enough. So a lot of times I would specifically just test stuff at RTTs to get some real world practicing with it as opposed to trying to bring the best list I could. Um, just to get a better feel for the game, so I'd be more prepared for a GT later on. And I really wanted to make sure that when I hit my Nova, my Adepticon, my LVO, I was really as well prepared as I could, because that's those were what's going to matter. You know, if you win five sixty-person GTs, you're still not going to win ITC. You need to win the big stuff, or at least place really highly in most of them. And that's that's really the focus. You have to take. You have to have your entire year centered around doing well at the things that really matter, as opposed to trying to do well at everything. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, for the average person, you know, the average participant in ITC still plays one or two uh, tournaments, right? So for them, the, the RTT is, is phenomenal and they should focus on that and try to do their best. They're really good for winning faction awards. But if you are trying to win the overall circuit, you have to do well at the big events. And that just makes sense, right? You shouldn't be able to win the ITC by winning right. five RTTs. Yeah. Um, you can't, but you, you catch my drift. Yeah. Um, you, you need to go to the big events and then perform well. Uh, and now as more and more events become very big in size, it become you have more options and more opportunities. Um, but I think that that's a really important note. If you're going for the gold, um, you need to focus on the big events and performing well at them. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I wanted to talk about, though, is um, you guys can check out my website, thebrownmatcher.com, where I'm going to start posting a lot more and getting into tactics and strategies for you guys to use and help you in your own 40k games and help you get better yourselves um so feel free to check it out it just launched uh, recently and yeah definitely let me know what you guys think about that yeah absolutely and i'm sure as someone who is uh probably the most winning 40k player in the history of the competitive aspect of the game uh, you have a lot of insights to share. You've played on the ETC team. You won Adepticon, what is it, four or five times? Yeah, four uh, times now. Four times you've won Nova once or twice? Uh, I've never, never actually won Nova, just the Invitational. The Invitational, that's what my, my apologies. I remembered yeah. it was one of them. Uh, mm -hmm. And the Invitational is arguably the more difficult event to win, even though it's smaller. Everyone there is an absolute ringer. Um, you know, you, you've got a lot of knowledge and information and insights into the game to share. So yeah, I definitely encourage people to go check that out. Uh, and uh, Nick, it was a pleasure having you on our show. Thank you for taking the time yeah. to share. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course, dude. And uh, I'd love to have you on again. And again, uh, congratulations on winning the LVO and the ITC in style. Was, uh, thank you. Definitely the most exciting finale to a season we've ever had. And uh, I wish you success in the 2018 season. I appreciate it. Thanks. You too. All right, buddy. Well, it was great talking to you, and I hope you have a good one. Yeah, it was good, Reese. I'll talk to you later.